So I spent the taxi ride back to the village, like the emotion just came out and I was basically crying the whole taxi ride. And mum was like, well, it happened. Get over it. You've got another race. Like you're lucky you've got another race, to be honest. Like not many people get two events. So I'm very lucky I had another opportunity. Those 24 hours were really hard. I had to keep like getting out the emotion. How do we become our best and live a life of meaning and purpose? In a world where the constant focus is on fixing what's wrong with us, we want to highlight what is right and good about you to help you live out your best every day. Hi, I'm Eloise Wellings. And I'm Rory Darkins. And this is What's Right Within. Hello and welcome back. Or if it's your first time today, welcome to What's Right Within. We are so excited to bring you this conversation with Olympic gold medalist, Jess Fox. Jess is only 27 years of age, but she's already the greatest individual paddler of all time. She's the best her sport has ever seen. And we're so excited to take a deep dive into her mindset and understand how she has become who she is already in her career and and what she is searching for as she moves into the future. So Jess, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. You're coming in from quarantine as we speak. (laughs) How's that going? Oh, look, it's been good. Um, Thankfully, this time it's only a week because the new rules kick in on the 1st of November. So I'll be let out early. But no, look, I can't complain. I've got a little apartment so I can cook and um, finding, you know, time to move and catch up on things, which has been good. And um, literally two minutes ago, I just had my first Tim Tam in like six months. So it's nice to be home and like savor the little things too. How good. How good. (laughs) Did you have, like, was it a Tim Tam slam or was it just you? you I remembered the Tim Tam slam after I ate it. So I ate another one with a cup of tea. And luckily this podcast has now started, so I can't keep eating. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. is great. The taste of Australia, obviously. Um, Jess, how many many stints in hotel quarantine or quarantine are you up to now? I know it's been a pretty different last couple of years. Yeah, this is my second time, but the first time was the, the full two weeks. And, um, yeah, it's it's not easy as Eloise probably knows freshly out of quarantine, but it's um, a lot easier this time knowing it's only a week and hopefully there won't be that many more of them. Um, yeah. It's kind of crazy coming from Europe. I don't know if you felt this as well, but life's normal back there and so trying normal. to yeah, trying to explain to people, oh, yeah, I'm going back and I have to quarantine and everyone's just shocked by yeah. Australia's COVID strategy in a way yes. it's hard to explain it to people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in some ways I'm really obviously grateful for for how careful, our, you know, our government has been and um, obviously high regard for human life. Um, but yeah, when you, when you're over there, you're like, wow, this is what it looks like mm. to be normal again. And it's so nice. It's so nice. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully we're, we're getting out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And Jess, it's on that note, you know, the last couple of years have been um, a little different. I know you've had a, a, a great uh, and long career already, even though you're still so young, um, but you know, just speaking to the last couple of years in particular, um, what was 2020 like? You know, you're, I'm assuming you're preparing for an Olympics that then didn't happen and then got reset to 2021. Are you able to just um, bring us up to, to speed with what the last sort of 18 months, two years has been like for you um, before we kind of um, backtrack from there? I can't believe we're saying like couple of years now, or like 18 <laughs> months for this period. It's just, in a way it's gone quickly, but um, it didn't feel like that when we were in, you know, lockdown in 2020. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's been challenging for everyone, I think, um, but I've been fortunate to still be able to travel and compete and have that sort of be in touch with that sense of normality, like we were saying, you know, going to Europe and and seeing my family over there as well after my competitions. I'm so grateful that I was able to do that. Um, So, yeah, there were tough periods, especially when the games were postponed and there was all that uncertainty around even whether we'd get there. And, I mean, even this year was just... 
like the three months leading into the Olympics were really hard because we didn't know what our preparation was going to look like and just being able to sort of distance yourself from the idea of the ideal preparation or the perfect preparation was super important because the uncertainty was just yeah no idea if we'd be able to compete before if we'd be able to travel if we'd even you know be able to train properly in the lead up so um yeah it's been a challenge but it's been great obviously I've had some amazing results so um yeah this year felt awesome to compete and be at the games be you know at the world cup events too so happy to be home now yeah and you mentioned the postponement of the games obviously like it wasn't it wasn't a surprise in the end to to most people were you ready to go were you were you was your first reaction oh my gosh I can't wait another 12 months I'm in the shape of my life or were you like well this will give me a chance to work on a couple of things. Like what was your, what was your um, mindset in that, in those moments? Yeah, it was a, a bit of both. I think like the months um, when we was, were hearing about COVID, you know, it was I think early March where a lot of the European countries were starting to go into lockdown. And I was thinking there's no way the Olympics are on surely mm. like part of the world is in real strict lockdowns people can't leave their homes we're still okay here but it's probably going to hit us too um so I remember just thinking like when are they going to announce what's going to happen and just kind of being in that limbo and like even going to training the last few days before they announced it being like why are we here like it feels strange um so when they announced it I wasn't surprised I was kind of just relieved there was news and um a bit disappointed because I was excited to get overseas and like get into those early world cup races and compete and kind of see where I was at compared to the others and I'd just come off some good races in Penrith so I was like okay well you know health is more important obviously bigger things at play here and and that's really critical that you know we take care of this pandemic first but I kind of had to just take it slow, enjoy the forced break and think about how I could improve in that year as opposed to think, you know, I was ready and I was going, I had momentum and I don't want to lose that. And so I really wanted to build my strength and that was sort of the main priority for 2020, 21 was um, getting stronger. So I was really proud I was able to do that at least in that block. Yeah, awesome. And so it sounds like, you know, you went through a process pretty quickly of, um, coming back to what you could control and be like, yeah. Oh, well, it's out of my hands. And, but what yeah. can I do? What can I improve? How can, how can I become better? Does that sort of map onto, onto that process for you? Is that something that you, exactly. you've kind of found yourself doing? Yeah, definitely. Because especially, you know, being in Australia, we were so far from the European countries and my main competitions are in Europe. My main competitors are over there. Um, so I felt really, isolated in that um, I didn't know what they were doing they didn't know what I was doing but eventually they got back to normal and we were still so far and it kind of I had to get out of that mindset of you know what are they doing what should I be doing and just focus on what I could do and what I could control and so I think it became really important to just focus on that and use them as motivation in that you know well they're getting better they're doing things too so I need to do what I can do with what I have here and just make the most of that and stay positive and enthusiastic and find different challenges for myself. And when the opportunity comes up to go overseas and, and race and train again, I'll, I'll seize it. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And I think it sounds like such a, a nice balance between, you know, you're still very competitive and, you know, like conscious of, of the competition and how to, you know, I'm so use that. Yeah, <laughs> I can hear that already. Yeah, um, and we're not even at Rory's rap. Um, <laughs> but um, but the, you know, it sounds like you're using them as fuel in terms of like, hey, they they're they're competing, they're training right now. Like, you know, like let's go. But also, you're not fixated on that. You're you're very much like, what can I do? You know, as opposed to just you know feeling hard done by for the fact that you can't travel and compete at, at the same time. And I think that's such a a great reminder to us all that you know like we can use competition in competitors to help ourselves become better as opposed mm-hmm. to feeling like all our competition is you know a threat to us you know um 
And I think that's what you've exemplified there is, is such a, a great example of, you know, the, the power of going, Hey, I'm motivated by seeing what you're doing and I'm going to work on my strengths or I'm going to improve what I can. Um, and you're better because of, of having that competition rather mm. than um, rather than feeling like, you know, they're taking away from you. So I think in anything mm. in life, that's such a, a, a healthy but approach. I, yeah, I think sometimes that felt hard though because I'm mm. so competitive and love the competition that going without it for so long felt like I was missing something. And mm. um, that was a challenge too, just being like, am I on the right track? Normally I've got these little you know, opportunities to test myself and see where I'm at compared to everyone at this time of year or yeah. And that feedback. So, and, and like I said before, not sort of being fixated on a set preparation Mm. then made it hard to know where I was at too, because Mm. I felt fit. I felt strong, but I kind of was like, well, I've only got the boys to compare myself to, or like, you know, some of the other Aussie girls, but you don't know what the Germans or the Brits or whoever, you know, what they're doing. So, and it was funny because even at the start of, this year I think it was yeah so we've had lockdowns we've had COVID um and then we also had floods in mm, Penrith true, and yeah. the Nepean area so the Nepean River rose uh was the biggest flood in over 60 years and that then meant that our white water stadium was shut because mm. the the lakes all um rose and, and it had to be shut I think for two or three re- weeks and then after that there was amazing weather and there was a blue green algae bloom so we couldn't paddle because the lake oh. was too toxic oh I remember thinking like what you can't make this up like yeah. <laughs> what next? and so you know when all those sort of little setbacks happened it was like all right where can we go so we flew to Tassie we booked flights the day before and, and just went to Tassie for a weekend and did some paddling there and just tried to find little opportunities so when New Zealand opened up um, for that bubble in that short period of time as well. We went there for a week. So, yeah, just at all of those opportunities rather than going, oh, again, there's something like the Europeans have been training and racing for the last three months and we still can't train, you know, just really staying focused on that's okay. We've still got time. We can just do what we can with what we've got. Let's just do more gym or let's just, you know, change yeah. it up and go to New Zealand. So, yeah, in a way it, it turned out well and, and we made the most of it. So much pivoting and adjusting. And I'm so interested in a little while to ask you how that helped you when it came to competition time. And I'm desperate to talk about the Olympics, but I want to go back. Like we're going to, we say in the intro that you are, and because this is true, you are the greatest of all time. You're the greatest paddler of all time. For, already. Already. You're 28 <laughs> years old. <laughs> did you always, when you were little, did you always want to be, you know, was that the goal? Tell us about no, what it was like I, growing up for you. Yeah. I mean, I was always a sporty, competitive kid. Like I, I played everything or tried everything. I did then sort of more um, seriously, I did swimming and gymnastics. And I mean, when I say more seriously, like swimming, I was quite good at without training as much as I should have <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, they trained every day at like 5am and mum was like, no, let's do a different <laughs> I'll take you to the evening session. So I did like, um, you know, three, four times a week at swimming when I was younger. And, um, but every time I lined up behind the blocks, it was like, I'm, I want to win this, you know, I'm so competitive and and I did really well considering I didn't train as much as some of the other people. So I think I was always super competitive and loved sport, loved the Olympics. Um, Both my parents were Olympians in 92 and 96. So then they became coaches and I kind of grew up knowing what the Olympics were, seeing them go off to the Athens Olympics as coaches and coming back and, you know, seeing the pictures and the the home videos that they made and things like that. So I'd always wanted to go to the Olympics. It was kind of one day I want to be there and, and do that. Yeah. Um, but I thought it would be swimming or gymnastics or something. And then in 2005, I broke my arm doing tumbling and flips on the trampoline. And the, my physio, who's actually still my physio today, Tony, was like, you should paddle a bit to rehab your arm. It'll be really good to strengthen it. And at that age, I was old enough to go on the Whitewater Rapids. And in Penrith, um, 
you know, you've got flat water, you've got the Nepean River and, and the lakes. And I always paddled a bit with my parents, but never found it very fun and kind of bored to be doing what they were doing yeah. and a bit lame. And so when I finally got on the white water, I sort of got it. I was like, oh, I get it. Like, this is fun. This part's fun. And so that's sort of where it started for me and how I started to really enjoy it a bit more. What a generational influence from your folks as well, like them modeling, like competing and also just generally just chasing after what they love to do as well. Yeah. I mean, mum was, um, so she had me and then went back um, to compete in, in Atlanta. And at the time, not many women, I mean, still today, not many you're one of the the few exceptions. I mean, not many women come back to the elite level and, and compete and go on to, to win medals or get back to the elite level. So she was sort of one of the first few. And um, I think seeing that and then always being involved in sport, it was about being healthy and active and, you know, not being inside watching TV all day. So they were always really positive influences, but also really strict about, you know, doing well at school, you you do your homework and and then we can go have fun and play outside and, and do other sporting activities. So um, eventually when I was more competitive and serious about sport, they were big influences as well around, you know, training and discipline and mindset and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got a couple of questions about that. Um, the first is, did you always have like a belief that it would be possible for you to go to the Olympics, you know, when you're looking at those, when they're coming back and as you say, look at those home videos and like, were you just like, yeah, I can do that. Or, you know. I, I guess part of me probably, yeah, probably like it was so um, close, I guess, because I, I saw people I knew doing it, you know, that's probably what's, um, what was really powerful and, and what I was fortunate to experience was that I grew up with parents who'd done it. So why not me? Or, yeah. you know, I was at, I'd go after school, we'd always go to mum and dad's coaching. Um, we'd sort of sit on the riverbank and just throw sticks in the water, but I was seeing the athletes training and preparing for these world championship events or the Olympics. So I always, I guess, felt like it was possible. Mm, yeah, yeah. Awesome. That is sort of, um, I think it's just such a great example of like, you know, self-belief when you see um, and not to geek out on everyone too much here, but um, modeling is one of the ways that you can develop self-efficacy or self-belief. It's like just seeing other people do it. And yeah. I think, you know, you're such a great example of just being around it and seeing other people and being like, well, why not me? You know? And I think, you know, mm -hmm. we don't maybe necessarily have to have parents who have done it to actually get the benefit of that, um, you know, to, yeah. to, have role models and or just see people and and what they do and think you know have that thought of that could be me um yeah my, my other question about that is I'm really interested that your parents both were you know like world champion level you know um competitors themselves in a particular sport that you now do but they didn't seem to kind of like push you into it or, you know, that, that, so I get the sense that it was very much like, hey, you can do what you want to do. Like, you know, you, you didn't necessarily jump straight into that. Like, tell us about yeah. how they've been with you and, and your own sporting dreams. I don't think they were ever um, pushy, but they were definitely keen for us, my sister and I, to at least have the basic skills of paddling so that it could be a family activity that we all did together. And, like, I have memories of us going up to... Um, foster and greenpoint lake and the kayaks would be there and dad would be like let's go for a paddle on the lake and we'd be like oh <laughs> and it was just like a chore to to be doing it but in the end we learned some good skills to at least do something different you know and do it together as a family so that was really cool um but i don't think they ever really pushed us to be competitive in kayaking it kind of happened organically it was easier for them for sure i think when we decided to paddle they were probably like oh good you know less running around taking them to you know different sports at least they can come to training with us and and do their own thing so um I guess once I became more serious they became more serious about it too in terms of you know making sure we had the right technique and that um that I was doing the right things on the outside to make my, the best use of my time on the water and that sort of thing mm. and 
Um, just sorry, I said I had two questions, but I kind of got another one. <laughs> always lies. Just jumping in. He always lies. Yes. <laughs> um, and because you're now coached by your mum. Um, yeah. And you know, what's what has that journey been like? How long has she been your um, your coach? And and what's that relationship? What what's it like to kind of manage a relationship with you know? Obviously, there's she's your mum, and there's you know, you, I know your sister is. Um, is in the sport as well with you and, and you obviously do a lot together as a family but how how do you manage those relationships between like there's the professional kind of coaching side and then there's mum <laughs> what's that been like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah mum wears many hats um she's you know coach mum manager sometimes <laughs> bit of everything repair kayak repairer um so you yeah, know she's she's amazing I actually remember doing a bit more with my dad when I started though like he would be the one to sort of take me on the river um in the mornings to do some some drills and skills before school and that sort of thing and mum was coaching the ends with an AIS um, and the national team groups. Um, so I was kind of doing my own thing for a while or getting coached by my parents on the weekends with some of the other younger people my age. And it wasn't until I really qualified for the team um, when I was 15 that I then integrated her squad. So, um, yeah, it's it's been, I guess she's been pretty much my only serious coach since forever. So, I don't really know anything else, but it's, it's always worked really well for us and our personalities match well. We've got a great, you know, communication. It's a two-way street. You know, she's not like a very authoritarian leader. It's very much um, about discussing things, about sharing ideas and, and feelings and insights. And she knows me better than anyone. So she knows when to push me, when to back off, when to try and get the best out of me. So I'm very grateful to have her as my coach and mum but it is funny because I I'm moving out but I lived at home obviously and so the coach was always coming home for dinner it was always <laughs> like you know oh we need to review this video because we need to review this. So there's always a bit of that happening so there yeah. was never a clear line <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh that's awesome it must be really special to have shared the olympic the the several olympic experiences and world championship experiences but um i certainly remember watching the you compete in the olympics this year and you know um there's a lot of a lot of coverage about you and your mom and and just you know when mm. when you um won that gold medal and just that moment of of you with her was was really something so um would love to hear about your experience in the Olympics this time. And, and I know that in your first, um, your first uh, K1, yeah, the K1, uh, you got bronze and I'm assuming you were hoping and expecting and being the competitor you are, that you were like all about getting gold in that. Um, I'd love to hear your experience from, from getting into that and then bouncing back to, to win the gold in your next event. Yeah. I think it, it's funny because I didn't, watch any of the coverage like I really tried to stay away from any news and that sort of thing because I knew it was just building up and mm. even the years before that you know, everyone's like you've won silver you've won bronze like yeah. there's one color missing so uh, obviously my dream was to win that gold medal <laughs> but I think I really just wanted to get there and do the best runs that I could mm. and in the kayak I was feeling so good like I'd won the qualifications. I felt amazing on the water. I was really easy and effortless and paddling well. And then the semis, I felt really good. Um, and then in the final, I just, I, it's funny, like I think I, I heard the time that my um, rival Ricarda Funk did and she was in the lead. And so I knew what the benchmark time was and it was slower than what I'd done in the semifinal. And I think I kind of just was like, oh, like, okay, well, I know what what time is needed and it's within reach but that meant that I was then out of my probably out of my race mode a little bit because I'm more of a um how do I say like if I know that the time is is really hard that's probably going to help me lift mm. as opposed to knowing the time's not that hard maybe it didn't help me lift mm. my game I don't know I'm still analyzing that race I'm still trying to process what happened but basically I made a mistake at gate four and, and I hit the gate which is a two second penalty um so that didn't really make me panic like I knew it was fine I could still build the run and I came into the last gate um 
and I hit it and I came in tight and I was really trying to make sure I got my head in because otherwise it's a 50 second penalty. Mm. And so I touched it and it was a two second penalty. And I was like, Oh my goodness, what just happened? Like I sprinted to the finish line, but as I crossed the line, I was like, still just in kind of shock of what had happened. I wanted to rewind that race and to actually win the bronze medal with that run is, mm. I I think I was rewarded because mm. it wasn't my best race. And that's what made me so disappointed was that it was a race with some mistakes. And I was so gutted to do that at the Olympics. But in the end, I was rewarded with a medal um, mm because of my level and because I'd worked so hard the last four years and, and that that run was still good enough to be on the podium. So I had to really digest it that way to be like, no, it's still an amazing result to win an Olympic medal and mm. you're still on the podium despite making mistakes. So, yeah. you know, you were rewarded. You didn't lose. You you were rewarded in a way for that run. So um, it was hard because I had all the emotions of like, mm. oh, it was within reach without that last touch. I was in the gold medal position. So, you know, two days, it's no, it wasn't even two days. The next day I had the C1 heats. So I spent the taxi ride back to the village. Like the emotion just came out and I was basically crying the whole taxi ride. And mum was like, well, it happened. Get over it. You've got another <laughs> race. Like you're lucky you've got another race, to be honest. Like not many people get two events. So I'm very lucky I had another opportunity. And, um, yeah, that that night I was on the physio table with my physio and I was like, we just need to watch Friends and, like, mm. yeah, I'll just tune out because <laughs> otherwise I'm just going to keep crying. So, yeah. yeah, it was kind of those 24 hours were really hard. I had to keep, like, mm. getting out the emotion and, I like to journal a little bit and um, usually before races I'll write like my race plan and it's like sometimes I'll write, you know, half a page and over the 24, 48 hours before the C1 final I wrote like eight pages of just any time I had negative thoughts or emotion or whatever I was like get it out, blurt it out, put yeah. it, you know, you're okay, <laughs> you'll be okay, tomorrow's a new day. Like I was really trying to get everything out there on paper so yeah the morning of the c1 heats i just it's fine just get through the heat today's not the big race and i think i qualified fifth um and then the day of the semis i won the semi in the c1 and then i had about an hour i think between the semis and the finals and it's amazing how mental it is at the olympics like physically you know i'd done all the work i'd done an amazing preparation but a week before the games, I'd actually pulled a muscle in my um, like intercostal slash, I don't even remember where it was, but one of my abs basically. And I couldn't train C1 for probably five days. And so coming into the games, I was more confident about the kayak. So when the kayak didn't go so well, I was then, you know, the C1, those thoughts go to, well, you couldn't even practice the moves that are in the race like you haven't even been able to do anything hard in the canoe so it all came down to that trust and that confidence that you know I've still done good work over the last five years and I can still pull it out when I need to so yeah it was a big build up to that final run oh my gosh there's so yeah. much there that I want to unpack <laughs> it was 75 minutes I'm pretty sure between your semi and your final because I was able to go for a run and I'm like okay. I'm getting back before <laughs> Jess does this final <laughs> didn't invite you because I knew you would have taken too long um but yeah made it back and oh my gosh for both races I just want to say you brought so much joy to every lounge room on the oh. east coast whilst we're in lockdown seriously and so, you know, as a country, we're so proud of your effort. And I loved that, you know, after all of the emotions from the K1 and not quite, um, you know, falling short essentially of what you really wanted to do, but still being able to celebrate your effort is so powerful and so powerful for others to hear that as well, that celebrating our effort is so, um, yeah. I know it's key to being able to move on and then, yeah you know, just 48 hours later, being able to come out and, and do what you did in the C1. 
what was the because I remember um, a story afterwards you sharing in an interview that you were sick right before the race what tell us about that what happened there (laughs) yeah I mean I was obviously like nervous (laughs) in the Olympic final it's 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 a big opportunity it's a big moment and I think between the runs I go back to the tent I watch some video um I never eat too much on race day and I sort of thought okay I'll have like a little um usually I have like a little protein shake or um lollies or like a muesli bar and I was like I'll just have a protein shake yeah cool and then sort of 30 minutes before my race, I decided I'd have some snakes and I sat down after eating them. And then I was like, I need to go outside. Like, you know, when you get the saliva in your mouth, this never happens like in competition for me. So it's like, is it happening? Is it, I need to leave this tent right now. So I like left the tent and I like went around the back and there were these volunteers who were sort of looking at me. I'm like, this is like, please look away. Yeah. Anyway. Up and I came back into the tent. I was like, wow, I feel instantly better. And mum was passing me at the time and she was like, oh, are you, you good? And I'm like, yeah, I just threw up. But I think that's good. We're good. <laughs> it was just funny because I just had to tell myself, okay, like obviously there's a lot of pressure and build up and that's what made me ill, like not sick. But then it's my body getting ready to do something big yeah. too. You know, I had yeah. to think of it in that way of like, okay, I'm ready now. Like I'm this, this was meant to happen um, to get me ready to go on the water and be more light <laughs> free, <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah, it was funny. I then blurted it out in an interview and I was like, probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> and there you go great. to all of us asking about it. It was great. Oh, I just think it's, uh, it's so powerful too, in that like you were able to be really, keep it really light and not stress about it. Cause obviously, as you say, it was the first time that something like that's ever happened and random things can happen at the call room of the Olympic games and you've just yeah. got to go with the flow. And like you say, like it was just a matter of it, you know, it was because it was memed a lot, you know, the event and yeah. the, the enormity of the occasion. It's it just it, it all came up. But um Yeah, and I I think like feeling good, I never expected to feel good at the Olympics. Like I have gone into the last four years being like the likelihood of you waking up on the day of your Olympic race feeling great is pretty slim. That one day every four years, like you might wake up with a cold or I don't know, cramps or like stiffness and soreness somewhere. So, yeah, I think I was always like, well, whatever happens, like I need to be ready to just do what I can with what I've got that day. Yeah. And what was it like? So the C1, it was it was the first time that women have been allowed to compete in that event at the Olympics, which is a significant thing, right? Because it's been a men's only event for how long? since Since. at least 1972 olympics right um so what was that like what was that like for all of the women um in in that event and what was that like for you personally yeah it was really special and it was a big build-up lead-in you know we'd been fighting for gender equity in my sport since 2013 and originally thought we'd be in in 2016 at the Rio Olympics and you know we had to wait an extra four years five years to get to to Tokyo so finally being there with all those women it was just I was so proud um, to be part of that group to have been part of that push and we started this um, tradition in London of getting the all the K1 women together before the opening ceremony um, so there's, you know, 20, I think it's 25 of us or something in our outfits by the Olympic rings in the village and get a photo together and sort of celebrate that moment. And so this time it was really special to see the group of the women grow. Like, and, and it was just so cool to, to be able to share that moment with everyone and just to be like, this is all the women of Canoe Slalom. Like we're here, this is our moment. And no other sport does that, you know, no other sport gets together with the competitors before the event and takes a photo like that to celebrate what the Olympics is about. So it was really special to do that. And then I guess for me, I just wanted the um, the race to be a great race for all the girls because for years people kind of just 
said that we weren't good enough, that the level wasn't good enough and um, that, yeah, we didn't really deserve to be at the Olympics because Mm. we weren't ready to be at the Olympics. But you're never ready to be in the Olympics, to be honest. So I think for me hearing that, um, you know, I remember sitting in the warm-up area and hearing the times of the girls and knowing that Andrea Herzog, who won the bronze, and, and Mallory Franklin, who won silver, hearing their times and thinking, shit, this is a good final. Like, this is, like, an awesome race and I'm so stoked that the girls are putting down good runs. Um, for me, it meant that it would be really hard, but, like, in that moment I was, like, rather than thinking, oh, my goodness, they've set this time, I was thinking, like, wow, how good. You know, mm. we're, we're setting the bar high. We're putting down some good races, so it was special. Yeah. That's that's epic. Um, we probably need about four hours for the questions that I've got from the last <laughs> minutes. But um, just to, I, I just want to, I'm conscious that, you know, given that, um, you know, certainly for um, for the women's competition, et cetera, that it is a new sport to the Olympics, I'd love to take this opportunity for you to share um, about your sport, you know, for people who maybe are listening to this and don't know a lot about about your sport and the different, um, the, you know, the, the different um yeah, what's the difference between the events. K1 and the C1 for, yeah. for people yeah. that don't know? Exactly. Yeah, so canoe slalom is basically a race down a stretch of whitewater rapids. Usually it's about 200, 250 metres. Um, the race is between 90 and 110 seconds. Um, and every course is different. Every race is different. And we go down in kayaks where you're in a seated position with your legs out in front using a double-bladed paddle or canoes where you're in a kneeling position using a single blade. Um, And the course is, you know, usually 20, between 18 and 25 gates. And you've got six upstream gates where you come back up, um, usually in a patch of kind of slower water behind bollards or rocks. So it's it's not like you're paddling upstream and it's still hard, but it's not too hard. Um, And then you've got the the green gates, which are downstream. And if you hit a gate, that's a two-second penalty. And if you miss a gate, that's 50 seconds that gets added to your time. So essentially race against the clock one by one and compare the times at the finish. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. And I think it, you know, it goes without saying that it's it's incredible to be on the podium for two essentially two separate sports right like i know there's a lot of similarity between the two but like it's two events um Mm. in a a way and i'm assuming you know requiring different training um to you know for for yeah a little bit specific so um yeah i think they're complementary like i um for a long time people always said you've got to do one or the other Mm. and a lot of the men have always specialized not many do both but for the women because a lot of us came from kayak backgrounds at least of my generation now the younger girls some of them just start in the canoe which is amazing but um we tend to do both and so for me it's been amazing because I've gotten twice as much race experience I think and that's what's been positive for me is building my racing experience by doing two events Um, and physically and technically there are some differences but in canoe you've got to use the water more you've got to be more efficient since you've only got one blade and in the kayak you can kind of charge and insert a bit more speed and and rating but I love doing both yeah awesome Um, and I, I want to go back to the um the time between your bronze getting the bronze medal and how you felt in the taxi on the way or in the in the car on the way on the way back and it sounds to me like you did a lot of um really healthy emotional processing and i think that's just a really powerful point there that you know to show up to our emotion and not try to suppress it um mm. and, you, and it sounds like that's something that you'll have become skilled at or you're you know you maybe you do naturally I'm not sure I'm a but good like... crier <laughs> <laughs> no it's like I think it's important you know to let it out and um and I even you know I, I mean I don't have perfect training sessions either and some days are really hard and I will feel the emotion and the frustration and sometimes I just need to have that moment of like letting it out and having a good cry you know let me tap out for two minutes, have my cry. And I come back and I feel this like steely drive, you know, this Mm. kind of, all right, I've got 10 minutes left of this training session. Let's make it worth it. You know, I don't want to finish like this. So I think I channeled that and I channeled any other experience that I'd had in my career in that moment. 
um, you know, there were the world champs in 2017. I was the favorite to win the canoe and I came sixth. And the next day, I, so I went through those emotions and the next day I came back and um, qualified 10th for the final and then won the world champs in the kayak. So I kind of drew onto, you know, I was like, yeah. I've done this before. I can, I can deal with this. And then finding, and I think it's also knowing yourself. Like mm. for me, it's letting that emotion out and going for a walk in the morning of the race and putting my music on and like, listening to happy like bouncy music that's going to try and lift my mood I remember walking around the village and I was like how good is it to wear a mask because no one can see that I'm like karaoke singing <laughs> under this mask with music so yeah I think I just had to find like moments of that were going to lift my mood and help me find that joy to to be there and seize that opportunity yeah that, that's epic because it sounds like because simultaneously to that, you're speaking to yourself with it, like through your journal, oh, yeah. right? like you're yeah. writing. So it's like, I just, that's what I love about it is yeah. that, you know, you're showing up to the emotion, you're letting it out, but then you're channeling it. And also like having this conversation with yourself um, about how to best, you know, move forward and how to, how to integrate that into, you know, helping you move forward. And I just think that's such a great example for us all about like, mm you can show up to really difficult emotions without getting like swept away by it, but it doesn't mean you also need to kind of like suppress it. You can have mm-hmm. both going on at the same time, you know, which um, it's really interesting to, to hear that. Yeah. Um, that and I think I knew that it was going to be hard emotionally, these games doing two events for the first time, you know, whether I won the kayak um, or won a bronze or didn't make the final, I knew that, that day would still be hard emotionally because whether you've achieved your dream and won an Olympic gold medal to then come back the next day and, and, you know, get rid of that emotion is hard Mm. as well. Um, So I knew it would be hard, but you you sort of, you still got to go through it when it happens. And and I would have preferred the other way around, but it was still an amazing Mm. experience for me to, to have to deal with that and and learn from that. Mm. Yeah. And as you say, like from the, time um a few years before we had a similar experience like it's evidence that you can then use in the future you know you can draw on when you're you're feeling like that again or experiencing like that again so I think all of these experiences are such gold in terms of um helping us to to draw on on that real grounded um lived experience of hey this can work out you know, I know how to get through this. Uh, I can, yeah. no, I, know, I know how to get through these feelings or, or these situations. So, um, yeah, that, that's epic. Did you work with a, a psychologist at all, Jess? Like over the years, have you worked with mental skills coaches? Or because you seem so, you seem to know what makes you makes you tick and what what's going to help you to thrive. And even speaking to yourself in the in the third person in your journal and like using your inner coach to, to level up, you know, like that sort of thing is, it can be so powerful. Have you worked with, with a network of people before to, to learn that about yourself? Yeah, but I think I um, always sort of like the foundation was always there. Like I was always a competitor who loved kind of um, lifting my game in the big moment. If I could, you know, trying to show off or trying to like test out a new skill in in a final or something. And like, I was always sort of wanting to put myself in those situations. And then um, usually being able to, I guess, deliver my best in races. So I think as even as a junior, I was able to do that. And then for me, I was never really working with a sports psych. Um, It was more learning from different people. And I like read all the, athlete autobiographies that I could like (laughs) Nadal and and like Michael Phelps and just anyone I could get my hands on to just kind of like pick and choose Mm -hmm. little bits that I resonated with and um, then later on worked with Nam Baldwin who um, has worked with many um, Red Bull athletes and like Mick Fanning and Steph Gilmore and I just kind of connected with Nam he's not a a psychologist, but he works more around breath work and, um, you know, emotional regulation and and controlling that. So I think I sort of, I I don't know if it was that I tried a few things that that he talked about and they worked. And then I sort of thought, Oh, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm liking this sort of technique. 
Um, but then I've also worked with some other sports acts, but I've never really had a, a solid kind of mm. long-term following from a specific sports act um, mm. in, that, in that sense. Because I think I just, yeah, I liked picking and choosing things and trying different things and yeah, and I love that because at the end of the day, you've got to do what works for you and what helps you, what's going to make you thrive is what is already within you. And it's about yeah. trying to delve deep and find out what that is. And yeah, you've obviously obviously nailed it in so many instances in your career. And yeah. Yeah, Not um, every time, but I try and, <laughs> try and learn from the ones where it doesn't happen. But yeah, I think, and I'm always interested to learn about the, the psychology around, um, like, yeah, reading about it, reading about high performance, reading about people who are high performers in different fields too. I think it's always interesting that you can draw parallels in that sense, but knowing yourself, you know, whether you're someone who's really analytical or whether you're someone who's more, intuitive and emotional like I think that's important too to be able to then bring out your best and deal with pressure or different situations so yeah it's always a learning process though yeah absolutely you know like self-knowledge is so powerful right and I feel like that's what's coming through so clearly here is that like you're 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 kind of like a student of yourself you know in the say in the in Mm -hmm. the sense that you're you seem to have this real thirst for for learning and growing and understanding understanding yourself um but i want to ask like what are you what's driving you you know what are you really searching for um you know and and what's what's sort of behind you know obviously you've achieved amazing things in your sport already and and then i'm sure there's so much more to come but what's driving you and what's underneath all of that do you think um i think i've always just loved seeing what I could do and like how um how much I could improve or how far I could go or what what's next you know for me like I don't feel that now that I've won an Olympic gold medal I'm done like I feel I still feel like I can improve and that I've um got potential and that's what's exciting because I I have snippets of that during races you know even analyzing my race runs like I know the kayak could be improved but now I look at the C1 run and I'm like I'm so proud that I was able to do that in that final it was an amazing run but I made a little mistake there like I could I could be a bit tighter here I could do that a little bit differently or so I'm always excited by finding and experimenting and like pushing my technique trying to get closer to the boys and trying to challenge them and I think that kind of drives me is um yeah pushing the limits yeah that that's awesome and and super evident and and how you've even described you know like um so much of of what you've done um Eloise knows this um but you I'm not sure if you know this I'm a I'm a real geek when it comes to breathing um and so I'd love to know if there's any particular breathing practices or breathing skills that you've personally found super valuable that you you, I know you alluded to to some before so um, yeah. anything you found really works well for you yeah I actually came across breathing um well with Nam in I don't know when it was 2015 or 14 but also with my um one of my physios Ema she's Irish and introduced me to Patrick McEwen yeah um so yeah it's Buteco Buteco method or yeah yeah he wrote a great nose, book as well called the oxygen yeah no yeah, yeah, oxygen advantage. Yeah. yeah. So it's nose breathing. And I actually did one of his courses when he was in Sydney and realized I could not breathe through my nose. Like I, my left nostril was like a Voldemort nose slit. <laughs> if, that's, if you can visualize that, but like <laughs> Great visual. I had like the most deviated septum. And yeah. so I actually ended up having that realigned because mm. I realized it was something that I should probably look into because it was affecting my sleep. It was affecting mm. like, you know, I'd go to the physio and I'd stick my head in the physio hole and the rest of the day couldn't breathe. So yeah. um, I, it's funny how I got to 20, however old, yeah, 20 and realized that that could actually help me <laughs> and be mm. something that, that changes for me. So I actually ended up having that surgery in 2018, I think it was. Um, and so it was, yeah, it's something that helped. I then started taping my mouth when I 
slept and that's been a massive game changer for me because I grind my teeth at night like I would always wake up with a dry mouth so that's been helpful and then in terms of breathing just I think I always use it around competition Mm. in that sort of few minutes before my start I'm always thinking about you know diaphragm breathing and calming my breath and focusing it's my way of focusing like Mm. I use that with a bit of a maybe a few key words that I'm trying to like repeat to myself and um and yeah but I remember sitting in the start blocks at the games and I had my my heart rate on my first run I was at 150 in the start block (laughs) yeah I was like sitting there (laughs) this is the heats at least but I like after that I didn't have my heart rate showing because I didn't want it to be a distraction but I sat in the block going like holy shit, I'm at 150. And so I was like trying to calm the breath, like calm myself down. But, you know, it's always when you're like calm down, calm down, that you never calm down. So anyway, um, still working on that too, the the breathing part around the position. That's super insightful. And I think, you know, for... No, certainly this was my experience too, coming to learn about um, about breath is you just take it for granted. It's so easy to take it for granted yeah. that it just happens automatically and then realizing that oh, it's, it's part of the well-being, the health and the performance equation, you know, that like is my mouth shut while I'm sleeping. That mm. could actually make a difference to my energy. Yeah, like and my mental all the clarity. one percenters that, yeah. Yeah. You do the main training session in the day, the main gym session, you're eating right, but then sleep is such a big factor. Breathing and oxygen are the biggest thing. So oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that's that's so interesting to hear your experience with that. And again, probably another great example of of you really going looking at every aspect that you can mm. improve, you know, mm. in your quest What about to- you? Yeah, sorry. What about you guys? Because I know I've seen you nose breathing when you're running and I'm like, oh, I wish I could do that. Like, I need the, <laughs> the things that like, you know, yeah. you stick up your nostrils to yeah, keep them. Because like the- <laughs> I tried paddling. Yeah. yeah, I tried paddling with my mouth taped and like oh, thought I was going to die because yeah. with water as well, like as soon mm. as you're you get wet, it was just too hard. But yeah. yeah. Well, Rory always says it's really it's heaps harder to do when it's raining. Yeah, really running hard as well. Yeah. When you're running, yes, the water's you obviously got water on your face, so you're breathing in the water through your nose. Yeah. But Rory is much better at me at at it. You don't breathe through your mouth mouth anymore. You haven't breathed through your mouth for years whilst running. Nah, but it's it's a uh, um I sort of probably a bit like you Jess I kind of wanted to experiment and so I'm like I started learning about it and I'm like oh Patrick McEwen yeah oxygen advantage let me try this nose breathing while exercise ran 100 meters and was like okay I need Mm. to breathe through my mouth now and then I just but because I was um probably a bit of a geek at heart I um I just started exploring it and seeing how far I could go with it and then without telling Eloise I started trying to do you know our whole runs all of a sudden you just went totally quiet I was just like yeah. really boring to Yeah, we just ran out of conversation. Yeah. I thought we just ran out of conversation. And then yeah. But yeah, and then I, was I just... realized he was breathing through his nose. <laughs> uh, but it's just it was so fascinating for me, just the learning with it that how much we can adapt, you know, to the point where um yeah, like I, I don't feel like even in the harder running sessions at the track that I need to breathe through my mouth at all. And it's been a game changer for me in terms of what running feels like because I feel like it's you feel so much more in control and so much more um in a rhythm if breathing feels in control and efficient. Um and so that's been what's on a personal level been super helpful. Um and it's been gr- great to experiment with Eloise as a guinea pig on on many things <laughs> various practices and things like much that. Much to my delight. <laughs> it's so um, hard when you start yeah yeah I mean I tried it a little bit it's funny because now I'm like oh my god you've got great nostrils for I notice these things now I'm like oh mine are are not good because I don't have that much cartilage so like it's hard great nostrils (laughs) (laughs) greatest compliment ever absolutely that's a, that's a great opening line i reckon when you meet someone like yeah you've got great nostrils um <laughs> if you smile when you're running i reckon it opens up your nostrils better like it i've tried a few things because i'm you I'll know try. like when you you when you feel like you're deprived you're like how can i make this easier but yeah you smile it 
it does I feel like it, it does, it does yeah. help a bit yeah you could use your hands you could use your hands but Rory's doing a PhD in um breathing and performance so you should geek out on it that's yeah, that's I, your job I try I try not to but when you said that I was like oh I have to ask so yeah. um, I thought I better not take up the whole episode <laughs> with breathing questions um so so fascinating all right Rory's rap just want to thank you for taking the time to to share with us um today and you know i've personally absolutely loved hearing um behind the scenes from you know your your story and i remember literally like you know you and i had not connected before but um when when you won that gold i was literally jumping up and down in the living room <laughs> and i felt so australian <laughs> i'm like even though you're kiwi even though kiwi i'm like oh this is like a moment where i felt like i'm cheering I'm a real Aussie now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was such a powerful thing. But um, you know, to hear your your journey to that um has been fascinating. And you know, it just sounds like you know you're such a great example of this pursuit of what is possible for you as a unique individual. You know, like mm-hmm. what well, it comes through loud and clear to me that you're super competitive, but you're not trying to like wash anyone else you know you're not mm. trying to put other people down you're actually raising the whole game yeah. for everyone that you compete with and I think the you know like the sport and sport in general I think is better for having that type of, of competitor in it you know um, and I think it just really highlights for me just how powerful it is to pursue your personal best your excel- excellence in becoming who you could become and being driven by that curiosity and that that possibility and by doing that you can actually make a positive impact on the people in the world around you even your competitors and look i don't know any of your competitors but i would be betting that they all say that they are better for having you competing with them mm. um and you know I, I think that's sort of the person that you are is that you you've got this way of of lifting people up whilst pursuing what's possible for you um which is amazing and you know i think your willingness to show up to the reality of you know the full human experience like your full range of emotions and um face it so honestly and and to be so human you know like to actually feel all your emotions as you said like even in a training session and and kind of like hey i'm just going to take a moment and and like cry it out and then i'm going to be back and you know the harnessing so showing up to the emotion is one thing, but then harnessing it for good toward your ultimate aims of, of becoming who you could become and, and really getting the best out of yourself, I think is such a key skill that is possible for all of us if we have the courage to face it head on, you know, to actually be open to feeling everything and then finding the way to channel that toward what matters most to us. And I just think you're a real beacon of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that, it doesn't matter what we do in life that we can actually learn from, from that and how you've done that. And, you know, particularly going from that experience of bronze and then, then getting the gold, you know, I think it's so just that you, you had that experience of, of getting the gold after that. Um, Interestingly though, by focusing on just going out there and competing and going out there and giving it everything that, you know, like you were rising to the challenge, you were, seeing it as as a challenge to embrace as opposed to like oh, i better not lose you know um and yeah. i think that's sort of the spirit of of competition that you really embody is like that embrace the challenge embrace the possibilities be wholehearted and how you how you commit yourself to to the to the cause and then let's see what happens and then whatever happens let's learn from that and then let's be all in again and and, and go again so um, so many great practical um, insights. And um, so thank you for, for being so open and sharing those um, because I think all of us can can benefit from that. And um, to close... Thank you for your kind words. That was super <laughs> lovely. Oh, we could wrap you for hours, Jess. As I said, I probably need four hours for all the other <laughs> questions and then we'd get a, a longer wrap. But um, no, it's just it's so so interesting to to hear from you and and what you've experienced and how you've gone about it um so i'm sure everyone listening to this right now is thinking like how can i follow 
the journey? How can I, um, you know, like be a part of the story of that's unfolding that is, you know, still unfolding of, of, of Jess Fox and, and her career. So um, where can we point people to follow along and, and cheer you on? Um, oh my God. Thank you so much. That was super nice. And it's been great to share this with you guys. So people can find me at, um, I mean, on Instagram at Jess Fox 94 and Facebook as well. Jessica Fox, Canoe Slalom Athlete, I think. Those are probably the ones that I'm most on. I am a bit on TikTok, but um, I just post random stuff there. <laughs> Not my day today. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that's where you'll find me. Uh, Love epic. it. Well, thanks again for your time and, and for sharing with us. We hope you can and really, like, bask in in the, in the couple of days that you've got left in quarantine, I hope you can reflect with, with real pride over what you've achieved and, um, you know, and maybe enjoy a little bit of downtime perhaps when you, when you get out. Yeah. Can't wait to, I just can't wait to share it with everyone and, and finally be home and see my friends and family that I haven't seen to like show them the medals and feel like we did it. So yeah, no, I'm super excited. And yeah, a lot of Netflix, I think in the next couple of days before, before getting out. So good. Well, thanks again. And um, yeah, we hope we'll be following you and um, hope to catch up with you soon. Thank you so much.